Well, hello there and welcome back in to the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. I'm your host, Sam Hind, and it is my absolute honor and privilege today to introduce you to a very special guest. If you have ever run a conference, an event, or maybe just an in-home party and you are looking to make your experiences something that are memorable, that people walk away from and they have had an experience that they're going to talk to other people about, this episode is 150% for you. I have pulled in a very special individual, Phil Mershon, who has got over 25 years of experience in conferences and events and creating an unforgettable experience. I first met Phil about five years ago at Social Media Marketing World, one of the biggest social media conferences globally. Phil is experienced in creating an unforgettable experience, and he knows how to do this on small scale and big scale. In this episode, Phil shares some of his methods to both the art and the science to creating an unforgettable experience for large corporate events all the way through to maybe just an in-home party. Phil's going to share what some of those uh, strategies are and how you can take your next event to a different level. He shares some of the experiences that maybe weren't so great. And I loved hearing those stories and he's got many, many stories to share, but he's also an incredibly genuine and heartfelt individual who's very honest about why he does what he does. And at the end of the day, he's here to help impact lives, just like I know many of our beautiful listeners are as well. So it is my absolute honor and privilege to introduce you to the amazing Phil Mershon. And I hope you enjoy this incredible episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back into the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. I'm Sam Hind. I'm so excited to have you here with us, and I'm even more excited to have our amazing guest here with us today, Phil Mershon. Welcome on in. It is so great to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Sam. I'm excited to be with you. This is going to be a great conversation. I think so. And this is a little bit different too. Um, you have just, uh, well, you're about to release, it's sort of in pre-release, your first book, which I'm super excited to talk about today. But this is a little bit of a different topic because I think this relates to so many different people in different ways. Um, but you are all about the unforgettable experience. And I love that so much. Do you want to share just a little bit with everyone? Because, you know, I've I've come across you multiple times over the last few years through Social Media Examiner and Social Media Marketing World, uh, where I first attended five years ago now um, and got to know you from afar. And, and then this year we got chatting and, and I thought, you know what, you've got so much value to offer to our audience. So I'm super excited to be pulling you in here today. But do you want to just share a little bit with our audience about Phil uh, and your story today? Absolutely. So one of the places it started was in fourth grade. I was sitting at the cafeteria table at lunch with my friends and we were all comparing the lunches our moms had packed for us. And I had Pringles and somebody else had barbecue chips. And we said, hey, what if, what if we combined these? And this is before any kind of flavored Pringles existed in the world. And I don't know if you have Pringles down in, down under. Oh, but it's yes. A, I love a good Pringle. Yeah. And, and we, we discovered the barbecued Pringles. And so I went out and I created a poll and a petition and I went to neighbors and got my friends going to neighbors. And we got hundreds of signatures that we sent to Pringles <laughs> and said, we want barbecued Pringles. That's like one of the early unforgettable experiences that I could, they, they ignored us. Um, oh, they probably couldn't say they, acknowledge they, well, us. Mate. Yeah. I became a millionaire because I invented the barbecue Pringle and no, I, like in Australia, ignored. I never saw the barbecue Pringle. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, uh, it's a thing here in the States and it's, but anyway, it started there. But anyway, I, I have a degree in economics. That's my first degree. I did not know that I was a creative in my early days because I was good at science. I liked music. In fact, I was a good musician, but I, if you'd have put me on the right brain, left brain, I definitely was 
on the analytical side of things, did yeah. very well in all my math courses, almost was a double major in math and economics, um, was you know into the theory kind of stuff, and really de-emphasized all the creative stuff and would have never viewed myself as someone planning events because I did not enjoy being on stages. I almost failed public speaking in college and I vowed I never would speak. But a few years later, I'm standing in front of 5,000 people giving a talk. So um, wow. strange things that can happen in the world. Um, <laughs> I So I was working my first job out of college and this is probably where it began for real professionally. So I was working for Boeing in their military airplane division back when they had one and I was programming computers. And I remember going to the very first training session and it was about total quality management. And they had this whole program they were doing, teaching us how to improve our quality. And the, the facilitator was a former pastor who had to leave the pastorate for health reasons. And he did this thing called brainstorming. I had never heard of this idea before. I'd never experienced being in a group generating lots of ideas and I was electrified. And I said, I want to do that someday. And I tracked that guy down and said, how do I do what you do? And he jokingly said, well, become a pastor for 30 years and then you can do it. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's really funny. What is funny is I did become a pastor for 15 years, um, but that's beside the point as it wasn't with him in mind. <laughs> he took his advice um, very seriously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a circuitous path. But that began my fascination with what happens when groups gather together. Um, yeah. Over the years, I've been a worship pastor, so I've designed at least a thousand services for churches, retreats, yeah. conferences, training sessions. For the last 13 years, I've been working with Social Media Examiner in charge of planning our large conference social media marketing world, as well as a bunch of online events. So all those experiences, when you throw them together, I'm a musician, I am a writer, I'm a speaker, I'm a Swiss Army knife, really, you'll hear as I go here. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of different tools in my kit, and I said, I've got to figure out how to codify what I know and yeah. I'm going to tell one more story here, and then you can start asking me questions. Um, it was in 2017, and you asked me pre-session, like, what's one of your all-time favorite events you went to? And this is it. I was at an event that was incredibly well facilitated by the MC. There were things about it that I didn't enjoy, but he did a really good job stitching mm -hmm. together you called it content weaving. He, he brought the sessions together and connected them for us over the three days. And the yeah. last session he led, he, he called it something else. He tricked us to show up because it was called something that sounded really cool. And then we get there and it ends up being mostly a debrief session of what's happened in the last three days. But it was one of the most powerful experiences I've had at an event because ideas crystallized for me that it had not crystallized yet. And he gave us yeah. space to do that. And the idea that crystallized for me in that moment, excuse me, <clears throat> um, was a phrase had popped into my head that morning. I'm a Christian and I read the Bible pretty much every day. And I'd been reading this story in the Bible that's about Joshua and he's fighting these armies and there's five armies coming against him. And he says, God, if it be possible, could you stop the sun so I can beat these enemies? And that's what happens in this story. And I said, you know what? And I, I said, that's time standing still. And I said, that's what we want to see happen at events. We want to create this sense where nothing else matters. Like you've tuned out the rest of the world and you have space to attack those five enemies, if you will, whatever they might be in your life. You have space to accomplish the growth that you want, to have the conversations that you've been needing to have. And so I said, that is exactly what great events do. They create yeah. the space where that happens, where you're able to really focus and accelerate growth in a way that you can't do anywhere else. And so that's when I started writing the book. I said, I want to figure out how to talk about that. It yeah. ended up, you can't really do that predictably. That yeah. sense of time standing still is very personalized. Like you might have it at an event and I might not. It might be at a different moment for you than it is yeah. for someone else. So I began saying, well, I, I can create the conditions for that. So that's yeah. what the book ultimately was about is how do I create the conditions for transformation? And sometimes that will happen for someone. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's really amazing. I love how, and the book itself is called Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. And I love that you bring together the art and the science, and we'll talk about that mm. in a little moment. It's so funny that you say that, you know, you you d- didn't think that you're a creative and yet look at all these creative things that you do. <laughs> and you are also a jazz saxophonist. Did I get that right? Because I, I remember seeing I you am. play. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, at both social media marketing worlds that I've attended. So, um, you know, like I would have said that it, definitely creative would be you, Phil, <laughs> with all of those things that um, yeah. that you uh, have accomplished. So, you know, what an amazing um, what amazing experience you've had to be able to write this book and put this together. I'm a little bit curious, though, as to what made you decide. It's, it's one thing to sort of go into helping create memorable experiences like that, you know, consulting to help people run their events. But at what stage did you say and why did you decide I need to share this information with the world and write a book on this so that people can do this themselves? There's probably a couple reasons. One is back in when I was in grad school, I went to seminary when I was becoming a pastor. And one of my professors predicted that I would write books, not just one, but books someday. And at yeah. first I was like, yeah, right. Cause I, I, I was a terrible writer as a kid. And even when I was in college, I, I hated writing. That's why I picked economics, but he saw something in me and there was just this compulsion that I need to do it. And at first it was just to say that I did it. You know, yeah. I want to say that I've written a book and I think it'd be cool to write a book and everybody else yeah. that I know, you know, all the speakers that I serve, many mm-hmm. of them have written books. I was like, I want to write a book. Um, but over time, it became more of, no, I need to codify what I know. And a lot of how I do that is through writing. Some people do it verbally. Like my boss, Mike Stelzner, he is a verbal processor. He can write and he has a degree in that and he's written a couple of books, but he really does process things verbally. And I'm not that guy. Like I, I, I need to sit with for my, for me, it's computer, not pen and paper because I'm a terrible penman, terrible penmanship. Um, that's how my ideas distill. And I was finding myself teaching people, you know, we, we have anywhere from 50 to a hundred volunteers every year. So I'm teaching stuff every year and staff. I'm like, I need to codify this so that I know how to explain it better. And there's something in here that people keep telling me, and they've been telling me for 30 years, Phil, the events that you do, you know, it's the best ever. And at first you're like, you've got a pretty low standard because I'm certain that it's not the best ever. But but when you start hearing something over and over, you're like, yeah. well, I must be doing something that other yeah. people aren't doing. I know I'm yeah. not the best at everything, but I must be doing something. So that was probably part yeah. of it. The, the book was a discovery process to figure out what are those things that I'm doing that others maybe aren't doing and maybe I can help them because, you know, yeah. let's face it, none of us want to go to boring events. And if I can help there be less boring events on the planet, then I've done something good. (laughs) Yes. I mean, there's nothing worse than that event where you think I can never get that time back, which is the exact opposite of the Joshua story, right? Um, Exactly. The the thing I love about this too is, (laughs) you know, and you really summarized it beautifully, the art of making time stand still. And we all know that a good event is that. But it doesn't necessarily, and the reason I really wanted to talk with you about this today, you know, our our audience um, typically spend a lot of time at, at conferences and events. The companies that we work with put on events multiple times a year and are always looking for ways to make those memorable. But the flip side of that is that a lot of the people that we are speaking to as well are also running small events, you know, whether they be parties, gatherings, team events, um, all of which are all very similar in that you want people to walk away from that experience, whether there's five people or 5,000 people feeling like time stood still, exactly as you said. But, you know, that event, that that time being memorable, and there is both an art and a science to that. Do you mm-hmm. want to um, – one of the analogies you gave me when we were chatting, and we've had a couple of really great chats now, and I, I feel like, you know, every, every time we talk, it's like I reckon I could talk to you for another whole hour about this and we could just keep going down the rabbit warren. And I love the analogy that you gave about an event being like baking bread. Do you want to kind of share that one and, and break that down for us? Yeah. Well, if you think about bread, 
and pretty much all of us like bread, unless you're like me and you've got a gluten sensitivity. I, I'm more careful, but I still love bread. Mm-hmm. I live in the heartland of America where you know wheat is we serve so many people with wheat. I forget what the percents are. So there's four ingredients in a loaf of bread. There's flour, there's water, there's salt, and there's yeast. And if you're a Jew during Passover, then you take out the yeast. So there could be only three ingredients. The way you put those ingredients together, the amounts of the ingredients, the quality of the ingredients, you can add extra spices, but let's ignore that for now. Just those four main ingredients, the quantities, the types, how long you allow the yeast to rise, the type of oven that you use, how much moisture you put inside of the oven, the temperature of the oven affects what the bread's going to be like. The intention of how this bread's going to be used. Is this going to be sandwich bread for a PB&J for your kids? Is this a special French loaf? Are these going to be more dinner rolls? What exactly are you trying to make that intention? All those things affect the way you put those ingredients together and prepare it and bake it. And, you know, and hopefully everyone will enjoy it. And I like to say, you know, you could teach a 12-year-old kid to bake a loaf of bread that the family can eat for dinner tonight. It's not hard, but what is hard is to create that artisan loaf of bread that you're going to see served at a five-star restaurant that -hmm. people will talk about how good the bread was, even while they're having juicy steaks and all the other things that they might enjoy at that meal. Like you expect everything to be great. So events are like that. Um, Events are like baking bread in the sense that there's only a few basic ingredients Uh, There's only, I've counted five ingredients. It kind of depends on the way you want to talk about it. Um, But I say there's five ingredients and I've gone with C's because I'm a pastor in training and you got to use alliteration. So um, it's content. I'll say them and I'll explain them. There's content, there's crew, there's connections, there's culture, and then there's conditions. And then I've got a bonus that's not a C, but it's a C sound of serendipity. So by content, what I mean is, why are people coming? What are they coming to learn? And I'm, and I'm talking about educational events here. I'm not talking yeah. about expos. Um, I'm talking about educational events where there's some kind of learning transfer, some kind of um, educational transformation that's taking place. Yeah. So what is the content? Who are the speakers? Um, what are they going to be talking about? How are you organizing the event to maximize that? The crew, that's your staff, that's your team. Those are the people that you've hired. Those are the people that you've recruited as volunteers. Do you have Mm -hmm. the right people on the bus in the right seats? Connections means the, and this is like, so content is like your your flower. Your crew is actually like your baker. (laughs) Um, Connections is like your yeast. So connections refers to networking. That is, you know, are you helping people make good connections where they're going to be able to you know, gather leads potentially or find future masterminds or um, are they going to have new friends? Are they going to feel just safe? Like this is a comfortable place and I'm, I'm with my tribe. Um, That's something we really try hard to do at events. The culture that, that emerges from everything that you do. Um, That's like the experience that people are having eating the bread, if you want to say that, Yeah, but it's, Culture is affected by a lot of things. It's yeah. it's affected by your choice of music. It's affected by what you choose to wear. Are people wearing t-shirts or suits? Um, it's affected by where you do it. If it's in Southern California, it'll be a very different event than if it was in Wichita, Kansas, where I live. And then the conditions is refers to the environment. You know, I was talking to a, a new friend yesterday, and we were talking about, you know, you don't have to do an event in a building. You could do it outside in the park. Why do we do events in buildings? And there are reasons to do events in buildings, but wherever you choose to do it, be it a park, be it an amphitheater, be it in a tent, open sky, or any kind of building, that is going to help create conditions just like the lighting, the colors, the graphics, the fragrance that you use. Are you being multisensory? So again, and then serendipity kind of speaks for itself, but I like to just say my, my quick quote is, you never know when 15 minutes is going to change your life. Yeah. So, you know, I remember meeting you at Social Media Marketing World this year, and I said, I know I'm going to talk to her again. You know, and I wouldn't say that was a life changing conversation, but it was a very memorable conversation. You never know. (laughs) And you don't know when those are going to happen, right? So, 
again, like just like with baking bread, the way you put those things together, it's in the details and it's in the skill. So the event that I can plan now in 2023 is different than the first year we did social media marketing world where I had never planned an event of a thousand people before. So we were learning right along with our event planning company. They'd never done an event that large before either. So, you know, there's a lot of things that I've learned over a decade of doing events that if you're doing your first event, you shouldn't do some of the stuff that I'm doing. You know, I pay a lot of attention to something I call event musicology, which is trying to create a film score of music that underscores the entire progression, the entire journey that people are having at the event. Well, this is your first event. That's probably over the top unless you're already a DJ. Yeah, I'm just going to, I I just like, (laughs) as you were talking, I wanted to bring something up that I noticed and actually it was about Mm. that. And I wanted to Mm. ask you about this because when we arrived and so to put this into context, you know, we've flown from Australia to, we spoke at an event in um, Fort Worth in Texas, mm-hmm. flew then, we're already exhausted, we flew over to San Diego, we thought we're nearly here, Social Media Marketing World is on, it's one of the biggest social media conferences in the world, it's like if you want to learn about social media and you want to, um, you know, totally up your game and learn from the best people in the world at all different things social media, you want to get to this event, Right. And um, my very first experience of this event, I've got to say, was really powerful because you you get there and my idea of a conference centre is very different to what you use. It's a massive, massive conference centre. And that first year um, we were running, you and I were laughing about this because the, there would be, oh, I'm going to yeah. say, were there like 14 different speakers on at any given time? You 12. had to pick which workshop you wanted to go to. You could only pick one of the 14 at that time. And then 40 minutes later, maybe 30 minutes later, there'd be another group of 14. And these speakers were in very different locations around the conference centre. So we were sprinting, and I swear I was doing kilometres a day uh, over the course of the two days just to get to all of the speakers that I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. So this year, Greg hadn't been before. This year we get there and we're already exhausted. We're a little jet lagged. We've already um, done a big event. And we walk in and the first thing as we're checking in that we experience is this incredible violinist who is out in the hallway literally just standing in the middle of the hallway, dancing and playing. She's wearing this, you know, really bright outfit and she's playing modern songs. So it's very upbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was just an experience just in itself. And you're, you're not just standing in a line checking in, you're actually having, having an experience at the same time. Now, I don't know if I missed a number of other things that were like that going on, but this was obviously very deliberate, this process. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming that you had um, set that up at the time. That one was for sure. There were more that I wish I could have done, but sometimes you live with constraints yeah. And this is probably a good point to every one of your audience members. Like when you're planning parties at home or the larger events, you typically have a budget. So you got to choose where you're going to spend your budget, which experiences will affect the overall experience the most. So one thing that I know is first impressions matter. And that, that's a yeah. true statement for every one of your parties that mm-hmm. any of you are planning any kind of event. First impressions matter. Well, we can dig into that because I think it's an important Um, lesson, but first impressions matter at a conference because it sets the tone. I find it's a lot harder to overcome a negative first impression. Just like, you know, when you meet someone new, if it's that first meeting is negative, it's hard to change that person's perception of you. If it starts positive, um, you can do something wrong and still be okay. You can recover. And so the reason the music's there is one, um, I think it does make people happy. She, you know, Amy is the name of the violinist and she makes people happy when she's playing and it's cool. She was incredible. Um, And I know there's, I know there's going to be lines that develop in the couple hours that she was playing. And so Mm -hmm. it was by design that she would be playing at those peak times when you're likely standing in line, you might not be as comfortable talking to the person in front of or behind you, but if there's music, you're relaxed and that might, that might give you the courage to say hi. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that was definitely by design. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's really like I like the point you bring up there that it doesn't need to be a big event for you to design a first impression and you only get one shot at it, right? And can I just like as you were talking, I was just thinking this isn't just events. This is also, you know, if, mm. if I was to um, draw back to social media here just for a little moment, I know we're talking about events, but the very first time anyone sees one of your posts, the very first time anyone goes to your Facebook business page, the very first time someone looks at your Instagram profile, the very first time anyone sees one of your videos, they are create. they're getting, they're having a first impression about you. And, you know, it's very easy to throw things out there haphazardly, which you could do at an event, you could do on your social media, you could do with anything you do in your business, but you're not controlling that first experience. And as you just very wisely said there, Phil, you, it's very hard to undo that first experience. And we've all been in that place where you realize that you had a first impression of somebody that was a little off and it's almost like yeah. a subconscious shift you have to change um, in order to to change that feeling about that person or that event or that business if that first impression has been set. And so it's it's such a, an important point. I, I really, um, yeah, very, very wise words there, Phil. I, I'm blanking on this lady's name but I want to tell a story about her. And if I figure out who it is, I'll tell you later. Um, yeah. But I showed up for an appointment with this lady and she was managing a friend of mine's book launch. And, you know, I do lots of virtual appointments every week as you do as well. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have high expectations when I show up for a virtual appointment, you know, I show up and it, we're, we're going to talk, you know, and it's chummy. Um, yeah. But I showed up and this lady was so intent and ready to engage with me and, and, and conveying how interested she was in me, it caught yeah. me off guard. And I said yeah. something about it. I said, thank you for showing up and giving me your complete attention and honoring these 30 minutes we're going to be together. It's like, man, that is a gift. And it, it made a yeah. huge impression on me. Not, not enough that I can remember her name, unfortunately. Yeah. But, um, I'll, I'll be a finder. I, I just am blanking <laughs> at the moment. It, but you remember, but, isn't it? It's funny. You don't remember what people said, but you remember the way they made you feel. And the details 100%. almost don't matter. You you remembered that experience. So I think like your audience, especially those who are doing these home parties, right? Yeah. That first impression at the door mm. um, and that first impression when they first come in, you know, I want to, I want to change metaphors for a second. Um because restaurants are another metaphor that I like to talk about a lot because I think yep. restaurants have a similar um, motif as bread and as events. Like, you know, at a restaurant, whether it's a one-star or a five-star restaurant, they all have basically the same elements in the experience of you arrive, you're greeted by a hostess, you're seated at a table, you order your food, they bring your drinks, they bring your food, they say, do you want dessert? They bring your bill, you pay, you leave, and it's over, yep. right? I mean- Something like that. And that's that's true no matter which one, but it's in those details. Mm-hmm. It's in every single one of those details. So I went to a five-star restaurant, a Ritz-Carlton. I've only done this once in my life. Um, I'm not that kind of person, but I have a friend who was a manager there. Yeah. And I was so uncomfortable because I felt out of place, like I don't belong. And I grew up in upper middle class, lower upper class. My dad was a doctor, but I just mm-hmm. was not used to that level of service, but they put me at ease. They treated me like I was royalty from the front door. Oh, hello, Mr. Mershon. Yes, Mr. Freund is waiting for you. Let me take you to your seat. Every step of the way, yeah. they were making me so comfortable, even though I was like, which fork do I use? Am I using the right spoon? <laughs> Very you pretty know? woman. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm so flustered and I'm dripping stuff on their pretty tablecloth and feeling like a complete <laughs> slob, but but that all to say that the, that experience from mm-hmm. the parking lot, when they greeted me, when I parked my car to the front yeah. door to probably three or four people from the front door to the time I got to my table and then constantly during the meal and after the meal. Hello, Mr. Mershon. Thanks for being with us. Is there anything I can do for you? Yeah. You can do that at parties. Like if you yeah. take the time to get to know the people that are coming before they show up. Um, try to learn some things about them and maybe yeah. have maybe have 
someone who's with you. If you're not a connector, if you're not somebody who really enjoys helping people connect with one another, mm-hmm. um, get some, get one of your friends, get a business partner who's really good at that. Because I think it makes, that's one of those things that makes a huge difference. If you can be present yeah. to the people that are coming and help them feel connected, that's almost more important than all the other cool things we can talk about that you can do to make an experience like that memorable. Cause there are yeah. certainly a lot of things that you can do to make it worth showing up and make them talk about it. But that feeling and it, yeah. it almost, I think it starts not at the doorstep or even at, on the street when they're parking. Yeah. I think it starts with the invitation. It the, starts with the invitation and your communication. Yeah. yeah. So can you make an unforgettable impression even yeah. in your invitation, make it something that they're going to want to, you know, come to. And it doesn't have to be way over the top, just personalized and that's something right. that's going to yeah. catch their attention. Yeah. You make such a good point about getting to know them. And, you know, it doesn't matter how big or small the event is. You know, interestingly, you I, can, I know that you put this effort in even. Now, can you just tell me, Social Media Marketing World, how many people were there this year? Just to give a rough idea. 2,000. About 2,000. Okay. So, you know, even an event of 2,000 people, you still had that element in there of from the moment somebody comes across one of your ads or any of your marketing, it becomes personal. From the moment Mm. someone then registers, it becomes intimate. And, um, you know, one of the really awesome things about it was, you know, you get people straight into a Facebook group, a community. You then get them to introduce themselves. You give them some context so that they can get to know one another. You know, there's, there's this feeling of it might be big, but there's still community and I still matter. I'm not just a number. And I think when it comes to things like a a smaller event, like a party, I mean, it's much easier in a smaller event, but like you said there, Phil, if you don't know this person one-to-one, someone has given you their details to invite them, find out something about them through that person. Because, you know, it just brought up a little memory for me. And I often talk about this um, inside of our memberships because um, it was it's so important to be intentional about the way that you interact with people. And I, I love what you just said about that experience you had. I had a really similar experience with somebody who is another speaker and um, you know, I often connect with her if we're going to be speaking at the same event um, because I just want to, you know, sort of get the context of what we're both going to be covering. It's always good to do that if you can um, so we can work together. And and I rang this person up, her name's Lindsay, and, and every time I ring her, she answers the phone and it's like she just pours joy down the phone. And I remember saying mm. to her this particular day, the moment she picked up, I just went, I don't know what it is about you, but every time I talk to you, I just feel happier, um, you know, after the conversation. And she said, oh, yes, I know. And I went, what do you mean, you know? She said, well, it's completely intentional. You know, I set an intention that I want everybody to leave a conversation with me feeling better than they did going in. She said, I do that intentionally. When my phone rings, if I can't be switched on, ready to go to pour joy down that phone, I don't answer it because I don't want anyone to leave that conversation with me feeling anything less than joy. Um, She said, that's intentional. And you can do that in everything that you do, no matter who you're coming across, whether it's somebody in the street that you've never met or whether it's somebody that you know really well. And it was just such a good lesson for me because every conversation we have can be intentional, whether it is at a big event, at a small party or just down the street. And it always leaves that impression, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so can't can't say that any better than you just did. So thank you. I, I actually, I've got a question about the opposite side here for a moment, Phil, because we've been talking about the good impressions. Okay. Um, so I just want to. I'm curious. Uh, like I love, I love hearing crazy stories of of lessons. You know, we we sometimes learn things the hard way so that other people don't have to, right? So we don't have to all reinvent the wheel and. You know, I've made some crazy decisions and and had some crazy experience in business that I will tell my members, here is my crazy experience. Don't do this. And here's why. I want to know from running events and the experience that you have, 
Um, you know, what's an experience where you learned a really tough lesson through, uh, you know, potentially going about one of these five ingredients the wrong way or an event that perhaps you attended where you thought that was a big pivotal mistake and I'll never make that mistake? Have you have you got, uh, surely you've got some stories around the uh, the not so positive experiences. How many do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Um, a couple come to mind immediately and you just tell me based on time, how many more you want than that. But, um, (laughs) one thing that we, you just start going. (laughs) Yeah. Here's one that we made and it could have been catastrophic. Um, and, but we learned a big lesson. So it was a few years ago and one of our keynote speakers had done her her pre-check in rehearsal the day before she was going live. Everything was great. She got there early that morning. I want to say she was on at 830. So she got there at seven. Everything's working great. Computer, slide, sound, the works. She gets introduced. She comes up on, actually, she doesn't even get introduced yet. Um, While they're getting ready to introduce her, the techs wave down the MC and say, hey, stall. Her slides aren't working. And so he's like, okay, cool. I'll stall. And he stalls for a couple of minutes and it's still not working and he's run out of material. Mm-hmm. So our CEO gets up on stage and he starts taking some audience questions and it, it wasn't planned for, and it wasn't a great moment. Some questions that got asked shouldn't have been asked. And it was a very awkward seven minutes. Oh, seven wow. minutes does not sound like a long time. It, I can, I used to be able to run a mile in less than seven minutes. Can't anymore. <laughs> Um, but seven minutes in a conference when you're waiting for the keynote speaker to get up and the MC and the CEO are all up there trying to figure out how do we cover. We don't know. Is it going to be a minute, five minutes, seven minutes? We don't know. Um, you know, they ended up having a part that had failed and it took them a while to even diagnose what it was. So we learned you can't control that. Like technology, unfortunately, fails And sometimes at very inopportune times and great AV companies have equipment around for redundancies when something like that happens. And it just, you know, it baffles all of us because we literally had tested it twice. Everything is working great. And then for whatever reason, it failed right when she needed it to work. But the lesson we learned was your MC needs lots of material in their back pocket because you never know what's going to happen And you never know when you've got to be able to infuse some energy. So I was on a call today, literally talking about events and similar lesson of you got to have redundancies. You got to have plans. Like they had a, a web system, a whole website go out that they were relying on for this Mm -hmm. online event where customers were supposed to be getting access to all the materials and all of a sudden it failed and there was no way to bring it back. Yeah. And so they were trying on the fly to figure out how do we solve this? And they did, but they realized they didn't have redundancies built in where they could have easily ported it somewhere else. So, um, so that's one lesson. Um, Another lesson that I've learned, do you want to respond? I'm sorry. Oh, it just, you just, it just gives me chills. Just thinking about that poor speaker to be, I was sitting there thinking that you were going to say she had to get up without her slides. And I'm just (laughs) thinking of the, no, her session went great. Simple challenge. Yeah. 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 And you know, there's lots of things we could have done differently, but that's less the point. It's more having backup plans. Yeah. Um, yeah. the other thing that I saw at an event was there's two that I've seen at events. One is a speaker and once as an attendee, the speaker one is easy. I'll tell that fast. I had a great experience with this conference pre-conference. The, the coordinator had multiple calls with me. I felt like we were locked in. Then I got there And it was like, I was a nuisance. Anything that I asked them, I was a nuisance. They didn't care about me anymore. They got me checked in um, and I didn't matter. And then to make matters worse, it felt like they grabbed someone from the hall and said, would you read this card to introduce the speaker? Yeah. You know, and they got up there. This is Phil Immersion and he's the, and I'm like, please stop. I could have introduced myself. So I I vowed we're always going to have great MCs and we're always going to treat speakers like royalty. Uh, the other yes, experience really was at a, um, a conference, a large conference, 18, 20,000 people. And so I understand people movement is an issue when you've got that many people at yeah. an event. But after a large keynote, you know, many thousands of people in the room, 
a particularly powerful session had just happened. And I was sitting with some speakers and some friends, and I was really looking forward to talking about what the speaker said. But unfortunately, as soon as the MC said, okay, now is a break, move to your next session or whatever he said, the AV team decided that 11 was a good volume on the music. So they cranked it up as loud as they could, oh rock music, and they made it so loud that you couldn't, you couldn't stay in the room. And I know they were intentionally trying to move us out of the room so that they could get ready for the next session. Yeah. But you know what I learned from that, and by the time I was in the hallway where I could hear again, I'd forgotten what the speaker said and what I wanted oh, to talk no. about, literally, because yeah. it was that it was that invasive. So I said, you know, I I'm going to not do that. I'm going to make sure we start with music at a softer level. We'll never use use music like that, but we're not going to treat people like cows. You know, yeah. no one likes to feel herded from place to place. You want to give people permission and there's going to be rushes. You were probably part of the session where, you know, we closed the doors early because so many people wanted to go to it. And, you know, it was, it was more popular than we ever would have expected. And that yeah. happens, but that yeah. wasn't a cow experience. That was just a, okay. You know, human nature, everyone's interested in one topic and you can't always yeah. predict how that's going to happen. But I, yeah. I learned from that one, I'm not going to herd people and I'm going to be much more careful about my selection of music. And, you know, I could have get, they could have given us five minutes to talk before they started cranking it up. That would have been a way better experience. Most people would have left anyway. Um, They didn't need to be that forceful with their use of music, using music like that's obviously offensive to me as a musician, but it was offensive to the, the senses. Yeah. You know, it's, it, there's so many elements to that. It just, it's such a reminder. I mean, we had, um, uh, a really, a really great friend come into the podcast a while ago who I often come across, um, in AV teams because I wanted him to share mm. the experience from an AV perspective of running a great mm. event. And, you know, the AV team is so important, um, to the running of event of an event in, so many more ways. They, they sort of, they're at the back of the room. You don't really, you know, most people don't notice them. They don't see them there, but they have got the control, the remote control of the event that's being run. Uh, they've got the ability mm. to make or break the event. And, mm. you know, yeah. it also, interestingly, you talk about the speaker experience and it's it's easy to forget that the speakers, and I just want to be, you know, a little bit selfish here in this this part because, I want to remind mm-hmm. people of the importance. The speakers that you have are also going to make or break your event. And the energy that mm-hmm. they bring to that room at that time, it is partly their mm-hmm. responsibility, but it can be impacted dramatically on the way that they're treated. And, you know, I've had similar experiences, Phil. You know, funnily, one of one of the recent events I went to, which literally had 5,000 people there in the room, they didn't even introduce me. They just said, we just want you to introduce yourself. And they handed me the mic and off I went. I thought, well, that's okay. I can do that. But it's that, like, it's an impression. It's almost like your introduction doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter. And you, you know, off you go, you know, you just do your thing. And, and then the moment Mm -hmm. you get off that stage, sometimes it's a bit of a, you know, you look around and and everyone's kind of gone, great, you've forgotten about, you know, moving on to the next part. But the thing is that those speakers Mm. also hold a really important part in the event that you run. And, you know, treating them, uh, you know, as that is, is, is really important in the lead up as well. So, you know, I've, I've certainly had some really amazing experiences and some really, you know, there, there was one particular experience where I almost didn't end up getting up on stage because I watched how the speakers before me were treated. One was even cut off. They were given 40 minutes of time and they, the event had been running over. It wasn't that speaker's fault. But they literally mid-sentence, they came up and said, um, I'm going to respectfully have to stop you there. That was literally how it was said because we're running out of time and uh, we're going to need to get everyone to lunch. And this speaker was just standing there absolutely dumbfounded. And I thought, I can't get up on that stage. I I just, I can't get up on that stage. So, you know, it's really important to remember the energy that Mm. those people bring to the, to the room as well, and that they can make or break that event. Yeah. And that's an awkward experience, not just for the speaker, but for the audience, because you didn't bring closure. You didn't give the speaker a chance to wrap up their thoughts. Hey, you know, we need to bring this to a close. You've got two minutes. Um, Can you 
can you wrap up your thoughts and give us one final you know thing takeaway or something some yeah. opportunity to salvage it while also honoring you know the need to get back on schedule because i get that you know but yeah schedule does not trump people and that no, oftentimes no. that's a mistake that a lot of events make is they yeah so you talked about the art and science you know the schedule can be science but if you don't have a heart, if you're not paying mm. attention to the people that are involved with it, then it's going to feel very mechanical. And yeah. some people will be happy because, hey, you kept on schedule. I'm glad to see we finished at 12.01 or whatever he's promised it would be. Yeah, I feel secure. But most people are, feel like you just treated that speaker horribly. And now I don't mm. even know what to do with what they were saying yeah. because they couldn't even finish what they said. It's like they got the hook. We yeah. had a show called The Gong Show back in when I was growing up and, you know, there'd be a hook when the audience didn't like this person. <laughs> pull yeah, them off. Yes. That's like, that sounds like what happened, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is essentially what happened. Mm. Um, actually you just mentioned the art and the science, and that was a, a question I wanted to ask you, how is running a great event, big or small art? And how is it science where, where, yeah. Can you sort of elaborate on that a little? Absolutely. So, you know, from a science perspective, you know, you've got to, You've got to lay out diagrams of rooms that meet fire marshal codes. You've got so many city ordinances. You've got union rules to follow. You've got to, you know, make, you've got to use the space in an intelligent way. You use data to inform you on how much food should we order and which rooms should speakers be in versus that one. And you're running it by a clock. You're doing runoff yep. shows. You know, there's all these things that are, being driven by math, being driven by process, being driven by, you know, skills. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other side, the art is starts with what we said earlier, uh, it's how you make people feel. So yeah. the art is paying attention to that. And some of that is the willingness to say, Hey, you know, you're the cook. My wife does not cook by recipes. She, she has a sense because she's been cooking for so long of how much to use, but she just does it to taste. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that that's how they cook. Um, other people cook to a recipe. And so recipe is science. Um, no recipe is art. But as you grow, most, most chefs and most event planners, as we grow, are able to step away from some of the science. Some of the science you have to pay complete attention to or yeah. you're going to fail, like, you know. You're going to have too many event, too many rooms that fill up and you're turning people away if you're not paying attention to the science part of it. But the yeah. art is, okay, well, how are we going to respond in this moment? What are the things that we're going to do with things like light, with things like, you know, smell, um, things like, you know, the kind of music and paying attention to that musical journey that people are creating. That's a lot more art than it is science because it's not perfect. You can... Mm -hmm. There's science that can inform it, but it really does become more of a, a craft, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in the last few years, we've had such a big shift when it comes to the way that we run events. Uh, and we've got this new mm. hybrid, um, you know, mm. on, like uh, event that many people are running with both a virtual and an in-person version. I'd, I'd mm -hmm. love to get your opinion on hybrid events um and and then also purely online events as well phil because these this adds a whole nother element of challenge and i noticed you know particularly with for example social media marketing world it was a purely in-person event yes people can get the recordings afterwards if they've paid for a certain um ticket but i i'm really curious to hear what your thoughts are about hybrid events versus purely online events in comparison to in-person well, you, we must have not communicated with you because it was hybrid. Was we it really? Have, okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, we had hundreds of people watching the live streams, either because they couldn't come or they bought the streaming ticket. You know, we had people who bought the full package, but they couldn't travel for health or yep. whatever reason, so they watched. Yeah. I think the world for the foreseeable future is going to still have all three, in-person, yep. hybrid, and virtual. Yeah. Um, they each serve different reasons. So- Sometimes, you know, you're sitting in us in, Tans in Tasmania, right? Yeah. So traveling to the States um, isn't always practical or affordable for everything that you would like to go to. So yeah. being able to participate from a distance is a great thing, whether it's a hybrid form or whether it is a virtual form. And I think it comes down to, you know, if you're, 
this is the way I think about it. If you're looking mostly for the education and the community doesn't matter as much to you, virtual is not a bad option, you know, because you can get the information much more efficiently um, without the travel. Now, I would say your learning for the most part is going to be far better because of that time standing still factor we talked about if you're in a place of community where you really can set aside all the distractions and you're with people that are like you. But, you know, in a world that is changing so rapidly and information, um, we need to learn and keep learning. Sometimes it's it's smart to do virtual. And so I think we're going to have that. In fact, we are just now <laughs> launching a completely virtual product that's coming out in July. So, you know, we're, we're still in on virtual, but we also understand hybrid's important because yeah. of people are a lot more sensitive now to travel. You know, yes, the pandemic, it's not totally gone, but because people still are getting COVID all the time, but it's, um, it's not something that everyone is planning their lives around in the same way, but there are still people with health concerns that they don't want to travel. And so why would we exclude them if we have the technology and it's, it's Mm -hmm. so much easier because of the pandemic to, uh, to produce a hybrid event. So we're allowing people to be part of it. I think we're all learning how do you do that in a way that satisfies them, that they feel like they're part of it. Um, you know, we use it somewhat as a sales tool because there's some FOMO of, oh, I really wish I were there experiencing that violinist that you talked about. Like yeah. that wasn't on the live stream. Um, you know, they'll watch the videos and say, oh, there's a lot of stuff I missed. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd like to be part of that entire experience and not just the uh, content, but my take is all of those are in the future. I don't know about things like the metaverse and, you know, AR and VR and all that. Yeah. That's also part of the future of all events. I know there are events who are dabbling in it and um, I have friends who are doing that, but I don't know that that's mainstream for, for many years, but I think those three basic types that you describe are, are part of our future for yeah. at least quite a while. They are how things are now. And, you know, probably the biggest question, I think we're going to finish up on this one. Then I've got my four quick fun questions for you. But um, how, and and I know this is a question for our listeners, whether they are doing uh, big events, big corporate events, or whether they're doing in-home parties, what are some ways to increase show up rates? Yeah. So I think there's a couple things that I would suggest to you. I mean, it does start with, do you know your audience? Yeah. What do they really care about? And it does start with that invitation and the way that you set up what the event's going to be. Um, what's the promise? But if you're getting to know them as people, mm-hmm. people are far less likely to turn down a friend um, who invites them to their house versus someone that's a stranger. So I would say create that connection. But if you can understand what they think is going to be really valuable, then you can highlight, hey, this event is going to have, you know, this famous chef from a local restaurant. This event is going to have a celebrity there. We've got some prizes and this is the prize that we're going to be giving away. And you know, it's something that that audience actually cares about. You know, I think it's incentives. It's what can you do at this event that you're planning be it small or medium size or large, that people are going to say, oh, I don't want to miss that. I like to call this ethical FOMO. You don't want to play on people's um, emotions like a jerk, you know, where you're just using it for sales. Um, That's unethical FOMO. But ethical FOMO means you want them to like, oh, I missed something. Yeah. And I wish I had really been there because that is something I would have wanted to be a part of. Mm -hmm. But if you can let them know through your your invitation and your communication. So it starts with the invitation, but then it's your communication, which could be phone calls, could be cards, could be emails, could be letters, just kind of depends on what it is that you're doing. Yeah. All of which is reminding them, but whetting their appetite that this is actually going to be something worth showing up for. It's yeah. not one of those things that, Oh, I had a hard day. I'm kind of feeling tired right now. Um, I, I think I'm just not going to go tonight. Yeah. You know, like, no, I'm looking forward to this. This has been on the calendar for three weeks or a month or six weeks. Um, I can't miss it because my friend's counting on me being there and somehow you're emotionally invested. I think those are the kinds of things I would be thinking about is like, how do I, how do I create that sense of investment and longing and then deliver on it? 
Like yeah. that's going to be critical. You got to deliver a memorable experience when they get there where they feel honored. They don't feel like you're just there to try to sell them. Like they had a good experience, whether they bought or not. Yeah. Um, Cause they're going to tell their friends about your next one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, one of my worst experiences with um, the audience that you're talking to is when one of my friends from college said, Hey, Phil, I'm going to be in Denver. Um, would you want to get together for breakfast? And within five minutes, he's trying to sell me on his yeah, network marketing opportunity. And I'm like, dude, I haven't seen you in five years. And this is what you do. I left yeah. early and I didn't talk to him for at least a decade. Yeah. Because it was that offensive. You know? Yeah. We've all so, had, we've all had, I, was, um, I often talk about the whiteboard experience where you get invited over for dinner and halfway through your meal, the whiteboard comes out. <laughs> we, we've yeah. all, we've yeah. all had the experience. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't define yeah. the industry, but it's definitely a reminder. Yeah. As you said, of, yeah. of, of that experience being genuine. I, I, I think that's just such great advice though, Phil, and, and making it an emotional investment for them. Um, you know, what's in it for them, what do they care about, what matters to them and making them feel important. Yep. Really, really powerful. 100%. So four really quick fun questions for you, Phil. Uh, I have so appreciated having you in here today. Um, I'd love to know, first of all, what is your favorite book for our Accelerator book list? The Power of Moments by Chip and Stan Heath. Okay. All right. Awesome. And next question is, if you could have a superpower, any superpower, what would that be and why? Flying. And I think it's because when I dream, I often dream, <laughs> this is kind of funny. I often dream that I can jump. And when I jump, I'm able to fly from place to place and kind of look down on everything that's going on. And I don't know what it is, but it's just, I've always had this longing that I could fly like Superman, I guess. So, I love it. Um, I don't so know if there's a, a true why other than the dream. It's not about <laughs> getting to the places necessarily. It's just about the experience of flying. Mm, the experience. Yeah. Yes. It's funny. It, that's actually the most common answer we get, but it's to get mm. from place to place. Um, so I love that. Uh, just for the experience. Yep. And uh, what's your favorite quote? So it's from that book. That's why I didn't tell you more about it. <laughs> not all moments are created equally. Ooh. And I changed it to say not all moments are remembered equally. Ooh, that's and so that book is about Chip and Stan um, are both uh, professors at Stanford University. And they were trying to understand why is it that some moments stand out for us more than others. Mm -hmm. And they looked at lots of different kinds, but the one that um, is most uh, memorable for me is they studied how people experience a Disney theme park. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all know if you've been to a Disney theme park or any theme park, yeah. you know that not all moments are created equally. There's standing in line. And when it's a, you know, 30 degrees Celsius outside, um, that kind of sucks when you're paying three times the price for a Coke that you would normally have to pay. That kind of sucks. Yeah. But there are those peak moments, those peak moments that at the end of the day, if you do those right and you end with one like the Disney parade and fireworks show, yeah, that will trump a lot of those negative things, it yeah. will almost cause those negative things to wash away in people's memories. And they'll say, Oh yeah, Disney was awesome. And they won't even think about yeah. what it was like with the kids screaming and the, yeah. you know, the suckers stuck on the face and all that stuff. So, <laughs> so they, they break all that stuff down in that book, but that phrase really helps me because it yeah. helps me focus on the right moments. Yeah. You know, when you're designing an event, you can't pay attention to every moment. Yeah. It's just impossible. But you, so you pay attention to the ones that matter, the first and last impressions, and then those peak moments in the middle that, you know, are going to stick with people and you try to focus on those. Yeah. So true. That's a really, really powerful point. Um, yeah. I, I, I love that. Great way to end. Very last question here though, is if you could go back in time and say one thing to your past self, Phil, what would you say? It's emotional. Mm -hmm. um, you're more than enough. Mm. Yeah. You have what it takes. Don't let other people define you based on what they think you are. Mm. Don't live in that box. You're more than enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know what, I know that that will resonate with so many of our listeners. It's such a, such a really powerful one. And I love that. I really appreciate you being so open and honest about that. And 
I really appreciate you sharing your amazing knowledge with us today, Phil. Um, It's been such an honour getting to know you better and I know that this is going to be, I think, powerful for our listeners in so many ways because it's not just about the events that you run. It's It's not just about the experience that you are there to have but it's it's also sorry that you are that you're giving people it's also about the appreciation of the experiences that other people are creating for you as well mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. sometimes we go into events with this expectation that it's 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 got to be one thing but you don't appreciate all that goes into it and just in speaking to you today phil i just i really honor you and appreciate you for you know the work that you put into the events that you run they are really powerful um, unexpectedly so, um, and I appreciate you honouring yourself by by you know doing what's on your heart. So, and thank you for writing your book too. I, I we're going to put the link into our show notes for our listeners. I encourage you guys to get yourself a copy, uh, and of course, um, if you are from a company right now and you are wanting to have your next event be memorable, then you need to grab a copy of this book. So, thank you so much, Phil. Yeah. I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you for having me. Yep, such an honour. Thanks as well to our beautiful listeners for tuning in again today. I hope that this has been an impactful episode for you. Don't forget, uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And, of course, if you found this impactful and you want to share it with somebody else, please go ahead and share this episode. We'd love to be able to impact more people uh, in more places. So thank you again so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you. And we will see you on the podcast again next week. Bye for now. If you love this video and you would love more help to improve your direct selling business on social media, then click on the link to join our Facebook group. I look forward to seeing you in there.